0: F-B-C-D-U-M-A-S-T-X-dot-com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. You may be seated, and as you are being seated, open to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Pastor Zane began in Romans 12 last week as we sort of turned this page in the book of Romans. Understanding that if you were there in the early church and the congregation in Rome and this letter was being read, there would not have been chapter divisions and verse divisions, but there would have been that change in the theme. In chapters 1 through 11, how Paul unpacks the beauty and the glory of God's work in the gospel of saving sinners through faith in Jesus Christ and grafting us into that tree of promise with his people. And then we made that turn where Paul begins to say, okay, now in light of that, In light of the great mercies of God, now live in this way. And we continue in that part of our series today. Is there any more important question in the world, in your life, than to know the will of God? Is there anything more important than knowing the will of God? In fact, that might be a question that has plagued you from time to time as you came up on a big decision, maybe career or school or marriage or dating or whatever it is, and you said, oh Lord, what is your will? And maybe you were vexed by that question. What is the will of God as it was some unknown mystery to you? I can tell you this morning that Paul tells us exactly what God's will is for us as Christians. And it's what Pastor Zane preached for us last week in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verses 1 through 2. Look at those verses with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In light of all that God has done for us, this is his will for you, that you would give yourself to him in service. And that you would be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the preaching of the word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's important to know that as Paul unpacks that, he doesn't begin with those big questions that we sometimes equate with the will of God. Paul doesn't begin with career, or job, or marriage, or vocation, or college, or other big decisions. Where does he begin in those verses 3-8 through that Pastor Zane led us through last week? He begins in the body of Christ. If you want to give yourself to God, if you want to do the will of God, if you want to worship Him, give yourselves in service to the people of God. He continues in that theme this week in verses 9 through 12. How do we give ourselves to the people of God? By using our gifts? Yes. And this week we're going to see by serving them in love from the heart. Let's begin reading in verse 9. Let love be genuine. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this morning, know the will of God by serving his people, as Pastor Zane taught us last week. And this week we see do so with this sincere brotherly love. That's our first point today. Love sincerely. Love sincerely. Love is just one of those words, it's one of those concepts that's very ambiguous. And no matter who you say it to or how you're throwing it out there, especially in our context and our culture today, it has so many different definitions and so many different meanings and opinions. When you say love, what are we talking about? And Paul tells us exactly what this kind of love in the body of Christ should look like. Sometimes we think of a church being loving, we might think of a church's friendliness, Certainly might be a part of it. We might think of the warmth and the friends that we have in a particular church. We can say, man, that church is loving. But is that really all there is to sincere love? Where Paul begins today in verse 9, he says, let love be genuine. Literally rendered, it's basically a statement. Love is without hypocrisy. Love is not faked. Love is not acted. That word hypocrite brings to mind this picture of someone putting on a mask and playing a part. And Paul says this kind of love in the church ought not to be that. This is not feigned. It's not put on. It's not an act. This is real, true, genuine love from the heart. Because you can have friendliness. You can have warmth. You can have politeness without this kind of love. Isn't the South sort of infamous for this? I was told very quickly when I moved here that this isn't the South, this is Texas. But I'm from the South, and in the South we have a phrase, bless your heart. Right? Sounds nice, doesn't it? Bless your heart. That means you're stupid. See? That's how the South does things. So the South can be nice and polite and warm and welcoming and friendly, hug you around the neck, oh, bless your heart. Uh, but what are, we, what are we really saying in our heart as we say bless your heart? We do that all the time, don't we? See, friendliness and politeness can be just a mask and don't really necessarily convey true, sincere, brotherly love. In many cases, as is the case with, bless your heart, it's the exact opposite. What you're saying and what you're acting is not really what you mean. Paul says this kind of love in the body of Christ is not that and should not be that. This kind of love goes beyond just a smile. It goes beyond just friendliness. There's action to be taken. Look at what he says. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. This is not just a part played or a mask that is put on for a time. In fact, he says that in verse 9, the first principle of this kind of love is to abhor what is evil and hold fast to that which is good. And this is within the context of loving someone in the body of Christ. When you truly love someone, you hate the evil that threatens them. When Anna was really little, we went to some person's house in Tennessee, many, many family members over there. And we went went to their house for a Thanksgiving meal or something. And I watched, right? Daddy's watching. I watched this little boy pull her around the neck and throw her to the ground. And Jessica didn't see it, and I was like, did you see what that little kid just did? I was ready to go at it with this four-year-old. Right? That's what wells up in you as a parent, no matter what you're watching, is you love your child, you want to protect them. That same kind of spirit should be in us for our fellow believers for anything that threatens their spiritual well-being, their physical well-being. Assaults that come from without upon the body of Christ, whether it is physical or whether it's spiritual or emotional, How about assaults that come from within? Sins and offenses that we let just go in our friends and our family members unchecked. And we say it's love not to confront the sin. We say that we're not confronting the sin because we love them. But do we really love them if we're not willing to confront the sin? And that's what Paul says here. When you truly love someone without hypocrisy, from the heart, sincerely, you will hold fast to that which is good while hating and resisting and fighting against what is evil. True love in the body of Christ is not just sitting back with a smile and a warm fuzzy feeling on the inside. It's going to war with each other and for each other. That's what it looks like to love each other in the body of Christ. That goes beyond a smile and a handshake. That goes beyond just a warm face on a Sunday morning. It's familial love. Look what Paul says in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Of all the words that Paul could use here to describe this kind of love. Love each other self-sacrificially. Love each other humbly. Love each other with kindness. All those are good and true. But he says love each other with brotherly affection. He chooses this word that's related to family. Of all the phrases Paul could use, he chooses to use these words that bring to mind loving our family. And that's what we are in Christ. We are brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles and cousins in the body of Christ. And he says, love each other that way with a tenderness of spirit, with empathy in your heart, with a soft heartedness as you would towards your own family. Something in you as a believer must actually be affected, A-F-F, affected by others in the body of Christ. That's where we get the word affection. That we actually feel for someone because what's going on with them and in their lives affects us. We love them with that brotherly, tender-hearted, soft-hearted affection. This is not a passing sort of love. Hey, love you. This isn't just a, how do you do, you know, while I walk the other way, because we really don't mean, how do you do? This is an involvement, true, sincere, genuine care and affection for other people within the body of Christ. And it's going to mean putting yourself on the back burner for just a moment. It means putting yourself there and putting others first. Isn't that what he says next in verse 10? Love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor, that means it's almost as if you are racing each other to show honor to the other person, esteeming one another, preferring others to yourself. This is the basic biblical principle of humility, not thinking of yourself too highly. Not placing your needs and your wants and your opinions and your preferences above that of others. But giving thought to the preference and the opinions and the thoughts and the feelings of other people. Taking the focus off of you in any given situation and choosing to place the focus on someone else. We need a prime example of this. We need look no further than the book of Philippians. Paul is writing once again to the church of Philippi. Beginning in Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, see these same themes and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. (coughs) We say, good, that's fine. But who's the example here that Paul gives in verse 5? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's all fine and good to think about love and humility and kindness until we say, what's the example, Paul? None other than Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by becoming, uh, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You want the chief example of this kind of humility that should exemplify our lives toward each other in the local church? Look to Jesus. How low must I go in my humility? How low did Jesus go in his humility? And Paul says, have that same mind in yourselves. You want to love like this? You want to show humility like this? You want to serve like this? You want to give yourselves to God and worship and love and service to each other? Then you must lower yourself and humble yourself as did Jesus Christ. And it's not just something that happens. It's not automatic. Look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. You want to know what Paul is saying? This isn't just going to happen. You can't just sit back and let this happen to you. You have to work for it. Do not be lazy, but work for this. Literally, not lagging, Paul says, in your diligence to love and serve From your spirit. Now there's a lot of commentary debates on whether or not this spirit means from your spirit or from the Holy Spirit. And I think most commentators have just agreed to say, yes, serve each other and love each other from your inner man, from your spirit, according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because how else can we do it anyway? Colossians chapter 1 verse 29, Paul says, I toil. Watch Paul's language here. I toil With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So you say, God, am I working from my spirit? And God says, yes, you toil, I toil. But it's also according to the Holy Spirit that's at work in you. I toil with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So this is going to come from my spirit, from my inner man, now redeemed by the blood of Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit. I'm a new creature in him by God's spirit and by God's power to serve him and to serve others with zeal from the heart and with sincerity. And what does Paul say the driving force of this all is in verse 12? Rejoice in hope. That as you love each other in the body of Christ, the driving force of that love is this hope that we have in Jesus. Remember that biblical word for hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not I hope so as if we say I hope this happens or I hope that happens. This word is certainty. It's expectation. It's assurance that this will happen. And according to that certain expectation of hope that we have in Christ, we are to love one another and to persevere in love with one another. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. Peter says, we've been called to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what Peter's talking about? Remember how he begins that section? section? We have been raised to a living hope, and no matter the trials that come, no matter the tribulations that come, as Paul says here in verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. No matter those things that come, Peter says, all they can do to your hope is further refine you for that hope. All the fiery trials and all the fiery tribulations that will come upon us in this life, Peter says, cannot touch. Your living hope that is in Jesus Christ, unperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. All it can do is test the genuineness of your faith. And I would say here, as Paul says, let love be genuine. and All it can do is test the genuineness of your love. These trials that we experience together, these trials that we go through together, all they can do is further refine your faith. All they can do is further refine our love for each other. And going through hardships with others, really bearing the burden with one another, as Paul says here, means more than just wishing them well. It means bearing the burden with them. It means coming alongside of a brother and sister in Christ and helping them with that burden as you both keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You both fix your eyes on that hope that is imperishable, that all those trials cannot touch. As you remain, as Paul says in verse 12, the second part there, constant in prayer. Persevering and pushing on in prayer. Paul means not just persevering with prayer, though that's important. Paul means here that prayer is the means. Persevering by prayer that perseverance by prayer is how we remain active in our righteousness It's how we remain not slothful and not lazy as we pursue this kind of love with each other it's how we keep our eyes fixed on jesus by persevering with and by prayer and this kind of prayer again is not just good wishes thoughts and prayers you know our thoughts and prayers are with you Our thoughts and prayers are with you as you kind of dismiss them. This kind of sincere love brings a burden of prayer. Even so much as verse 13, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In other words, Paul says, don't just wave your hands and say uh, thoughts and prayers. Put your money where your mouth is. That as you bless them and as you come along to carry that burden with them, there's actually going to be a cost to you. And you say, well, I give my tithe. Great, that's included here. You say, I give to the love offerings and I give to the special missions offering. Great, that is included here. But this is also a call to individual, unprompted gifts to others within the body of Christ. As you know a need, and maybe nobody else knows it. Maybe it's not advertised on the church phone tree to say, hey, contribute to this or contribute to that. Maybe you know about it and no one else does and you help that person. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Put your money where your mouth is. James 2, verse 16. He says, what good does it do to say to someone who is in need, be warmed and filled and then go your way? And we can say, be warmed and filled, hope you find what you're looking for. But what good does that do anyone? As Jared read to us today from 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, if some of you have the world's goods, some of you have been blessed above measure with wealth in one way or another. It might not be just money, mind you. John says if you've been blessed in that way and you shut up your heart to the needs of your brother, what good is that? What kind of love in that? And he says in verse 18, Let us love with not just word, but let us love in deed. Again, taking off the mask, taking off playing the part, not just a friendly smile, not a bless your heart, not just thoughts and prayers, but actually enduring with other people in the body of Christ through prayer, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, looking for ways to give, literally here in verse 13, seeking to show hospitality. You know what that means? Pursuing opportunities to be hospitable. I think most of us would say, I'm hospitable. But what that means is, if the need arises, and there are no other options, and you've gone through everything that you can do as a church, then you can call me. If you've expended all your other options, pastor, yeah, by all means, I'll be hospitable. Or you tell God, My home is open as a very last resort for anything. That's not what Paul says here, is it, in verse 13? He says, look for ways to be hospitable. Don't make the pastor ask. Don't make the deacons ask. Don't wait for the opportunity to come to you. You seek out opportunities to be hospitable to others. It's interesting that these verses appear to us in our English Bibles as 13 individual commands. And as I read through them, you might have thought that sounded very abrupt and terse. Um, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Love one another. Outdo one another. And it comes to us sort of of like that in English. But the original language presents this as sort of one command in verse 9. And that one driving command is... Let love be genuine. And if I were to read it the way it sort of originally comes to us, this is how it would read. Let love be genuine, abhorring what is evil, holding fast to that which is good, loving one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor, not being slothful in zeal, being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and showing hospitality. You see how that kind of comes across differently? It's one command with all these other little outflow commands. Let love be genuine as you do all these other things. That's how you test the genuineness of your love. How different is this? Sort of the clean, sanitized version of church that many of us might be involved in here or other places. One day, one hour, once a week, my seat, my people, my class, my thing, and then I get to go home. And maybe I give a passing word or two coming in or in the greeting or when I'm leaving because I have to. Maybe I share a meal together on an occasional Wednesday night or a Thanksgiving meal like today. But I want to ask you, is that enough? Is that enough to cultivate this kind of true, real, gritty love? Are those kind of passing interactions with one another enough to cultivate that kind of love with each other? I'd say it's not because the truth is this is hard work. This is not going to come naturally to any of us because we're selfish, myself included. I want to remind you this morning, though, that God is not asking this merely of us. He's asking this of redeemed us. He's asking this, chapters 1 through 11, those who have been set free from the penalty of sin by God's love, brought into the family of God by God's hospitality, Set free by the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ. He says because of all that, that should overflow in your life by the power of my spirit. This is something we must pursue, as Paul says. We must look for ways to do this. We must watch for ways to obey. Seek out ways to obey and pray for ways to obey. And I want to tell you maybe a warning this morning. If you pray for those opportunities... And you pray for those doors to be able to do and to obey this scripture, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will grant those prayers. So pray for opportunities. Pray for doors to show that kind of love to each other, to show that kind of hospitality to each other. Number two today, love humbly. Love humbly. Paul begins in verse 10 there, he talks about outdoing one another and showing honor And we looked at the the testimony and the the example of Jesus as he humbled himself for us. Now Paul continues that theme in a surprising way. And you might be asking the question this morning, who must I love? How much must I love? Maybe you're asking the question in your heart, am I permitted not to love? I would remind you of that gentleman that asked the question of Jesus. excuse, Excuse me, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? That very one that we're trying to rule out. The very one that that lawyer was trying to rule out and make an excuse not to love. Is the very one Jesus commands us to love. The lowliest and the most hated. Look at what he says in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. And again, bless and do not curse. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This whole thing is part of Jesus' upside-down kingdom that goes to loving even one's own enemies. I want you to notice both in the words of Paul and in the words of Jesus, this is not just ignoring your enemies. Because we're good at that. And most of us might be sanctified enough to be able to ignore our enemies. We might be really good at avoiding our enemies. But what about actively praying for our enemies? What about actively blessing our enemies? Not just avoiding, not just ignoring, but actively praying for and blessing them. And if you have to ask which enemy... That one, that one you're thinking of when you ask that question. Which neighbor, which enemy? All of them. And to what extent, Paul, verse 15, that you rejoice with those who rejoice and you weep with those who weep. Certainly this applies within the context of the local church as a whole. But I think it's interesting that he puts this here in the context of loving one's enemies to empathize for them, to feel for them, even real, genuine affection for them. Never mind those who are hard to love. Let's put the enemies aside for a second. Let's just think about those who are closest to us, our family, our friends, members in this body of Christ. Even then, this is a hard command, isn't it? To love each other with so much humility, to get out of ourselves so much to the point of rejoicing with them in their triumphs and in their victories, even, listen, even if all we are knowing in that moment is defeat, to be able to rejoice with them in their triumphs. How about weeping with those who weep, even when everything in your life might be going according to plan, when someone else is hurting, stooping so low again, not just to wave your hand and say, be warmed and be filled, Not just to say thoughts and prayers, bless your heart, but getting down in the mud with them and lamenting with them. Again, this has got to be more than a passing smile and nice words on a Sunday morning. This requires connection, involvement with each other. This means being in each other's lives, in each other's families, in each other's homes. These commands are simply impossible to obey otherwise. And if we're not obeying these commands, we go back to what Pastor Zane introduced to us last week in verses 1 and 2. We cannot begin to live our lives as living sacrifices or to worship God or to do his will if we're not ready to serve the church with the gifts we saw last week and to love them with this kind of love that we see this week. And in verse 16, Paul brings this whole thing to one close, with one final command to be humble live in harmony with one another literally be of the same mind do not be haughty but associate with the lowly associate with the lowly what kind of humility is that if if we were to outdo one another and showing honor If we were of the same mind, as he says here, and that same mind is to outdo one another in showing honor, what kind of harmony and unity would that bring? That would bring the kind of thought process to where nothing would be beneath us and no one would be beneath us. And that's what he means with associate with the lowly. Again, there's commentary debate on whether Paul means associate with lowly people or associate with lowly tasks. And I would just say all the above, that nothing is beneath you in your service as a Christian, and no one is beneath you in your love as a Christian. Associate with the lowly, lowly task, the lowly person. And he ends in verse 16 with this command, never be wise in your own sight. So as you begin to say, how can I love? How can I care? How can I do this? Start there. Never be wise in your own sight. Love the lowliest person. Love the lowliest task. Even if that lowliest person is your enemy. What a beautiful picture of humility and love in the local church and beyond the local church. Putting each other first, even the lowliest And again, we must ask, isn't that what Jesus has done for us? Romans 5, verse 8, this is God's love toward us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If that's God's love for us, if that's Christ's love for us, how could we look at anyone or anything and say, oh, no, not that? Or, oh, no, not them? Lastly today we are to love triumphantly as we love each other even our enemies the inevitable question will be but pastor what if they do blank but pastor you don't know what they've said you don't know what they've done let me just tell you these commands Paul knows that people are involved and when people are involved there's going to be hurt When people are involved, there's going to be pain. There's going to be wrongdoing. And even within a church context, believe it or not, we are going to be tempted to take it upon ourselves to deal with that in our flesh. And Paul says, don't. Sound like Joe Biden, doesn't it? Don't. Don't, 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 don't. Don't do that. Because verse 17, Paul says, it is not for you to repay. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do that which is honorable in the sight of all. Don't let revenge be your priority. Think differently, Paul says. In fact, think this way. He says, let this be your thought pattern, that which is honorable and good in the sight of all. Because, listen... More than that person who hurt you or who wronged you, more than they need to know just what they did to you, and more than they need a piece of your mind and for you to show them, you know what they need more than that? They need to see Jesus in you. And not just them, but Paul says in the sight of all. That means their friends, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, everybody watching needs to see that which is honorable and good, even when you have been wronged take thought to do with that which is honorable in the sight of all let me just tell you very simply this is brother matt this morning christian you never have the right to be a jerk let's pray now you you never have the right to be a jerk and you would say well what about this or what about that never never The offender needs to see Jesus in you. Everyone needs to see Jesus in you. That's why I love that language in our church covenant. Do you pledge to walk circumspectly in the world? In other words, do you pledge to walk in a way that you acknowledge that everybody is watching your testimony? And so Paul says, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. You will experience conflict, even within the church. Surprise. You will experience hurt, even within the church. You will experience wrongdoing, even within the church. But here's what Paul says. Don't let the wrongdoing be your doing. As far as it depends on you, as far as it's up to you, be at peace with everyone and Jesus says in Matthew 5 9 blessed are the peacemakers they will be called the sons of God and you might say this morning so so what I just let things go unchecked I just let those wrongs go persecuted and 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 all these trials that i go through with enemies that come against me or my friends or my loved ones i just let it all go unchecked no not unchecked just not checked by you because you are not the judge verse 19 though but god is beloved never avenge yourselves But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Quoting from Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to you. Trust in that. So yes, no evil will go unchecked. No evil will go unjudged. But let God be the righteous judge. And before you take too much glee in that, before that fills you with more sinful thoughts about the judgment of other people in some sort of gleeful fashion, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. But if it wasn't for God's grace, you would be in the same boat. So what do you do for your enemies then? You pray for them, you bless them, you leave the vengeance to God, but you don't don't take joy in it. You pray for them, you lament over them that they might know the salvation and the mercy and the grace that you know. Even the worst enemy that you can possibly think of. You pray, oh God, save them and open their eyes by the grace of Jesus Christ. Leave the judgment to God. Verse 20, what is there left for you to do then? It's interesting that in the original language, we return to imperatives here. We return to commands, do this, do this, do this. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on their head. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. And we have this really puzzling phrase about heaping coals on their head. What in the world does that mean? Think about it this way. Persecution and evil come from a place of supposed power. Right? And that's the only language that that kind of evil knows. Unmitigated power. Vengeance. Violence. Retaliation. Retaliation. And so when you choose to respond to that kind of so-called power with grace and mercy and love and peace, you see how that's so embarrassing for them. It confounds their whole language. It confounds their whole system of thinking because it's not how they think. And so when you respond with kindness and love and grace and mercy, you're making more of a strong statement than their unmitigated power and evil and persecution ever could. I think it's remarkable how Paul again and again insists that we're active in this. Again, not just ignoring wrongdoing, not just avoiding our enemies, but facing them head on by the power of the Spirit of God. This is not advice from Paul to back down, to back off, but these are commands to be obeyed. If you want to give yourselves to God as a living sacrifice, you want to worship him, you want to know his will, not be conformed to the world, transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want that, you must do this, giving, loving, sacrificing, even to the least deserving, placing your feelings and your preferences second to. And those of others first. Facing your enemies and blessing and loving them. This morning you might see that as defeatism. As just rolling over. Or being pushovers. I want to remind you this was the very fire behind Jesus' ministry. Who though he was being accused and tried and beaten. Did not open his mouth. This was the testimony of the apostles each having been persecuted most of them martyred for the faith looking in the face of tyrannical evil and yet saying submit to the emperor. Pray for those who persecute you. This was the testimony of the martyrs the seed of the church who in the face of evil did not fight and did not argue but gave themselves wholly to God. And if they endured such suffering and persecution, if in that suffering and persecution, they blessed and they prayed for even their executioners, this is no heavy burden for you. This is power for you. There's triumph here, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. Look at that word, overcome, overcome evil with good that's what it looks like to be victorious jesus standing there in the face of his accusers hanging on the cross saying what father forgive them they don't know what they're doing power looks like stephen being pelted with stones praying to god the father do not lay this charge against them It looks like William Tyndale being burned at the stake, saying, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, strike me down and I'll become more powerful than you can ever imagine. That's not in the Bible, by the way. There's power there. When you imagine those scenes in your head, isn't that where the real power is? You see all the cowardice of the villains and all the cowardice of those hurling the stones. And you see the strength of Stephen, the power of Jesus, the power of the martyrs. There is power there beyond the swords of men. Power in the spirit of God to work through the worst to bring God's glory. And isn't that the end of the story in Revelation? Isn't it the victory of the lamb, the lamb who had been slain? Because it will be the scarred hands of that lamb that throw Satan into hell. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that we have to repay evil with evil. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that earthly weapons win spiritual wars. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that enduring suffering for Jesus is some sort of defeat. Know this. Jesus has already won. He has already overcome. And that triumph will one day be manifested in this sinful world. And the best, most powerful weapon we can wield for now is love. Jesus crushed the head of Satan with love. Yes, judgment is coming. Wrath is coming. But it was love for sinners. Romans 5, 8, it was love for sinners that crushed the head of the serpent. And that triumph and that victory and that glory should be evident in our lives, beginning in the body of Christ, but going on to our neighbors and our family and our friends. Listen this morning. If you know the love of Christ, and if you know his triumph over your sin, Shouldn't that be evident in your life? Shouldn't that be evident in your pocketbook? Shouldn't that be evident in your priorities and your schedule? Should there not be a radical, holy love for the family of God? Should there not be evidence, listen, even from your enemies, that you belong to Jesus? I don't know what your Bibles say there at the heading of this section, but my mine says marks of the true Christian. I wonder if you do see yourself here this morning or if this mirror reflects something else. Is your love merely a show? Is, is it put on when you come into this place? Is it a mask that you wear and quickly take off? Are you distant from your church family, from Christ's body? Yes, you come, you sit, you listen, you watch, you listen, but you're relatively unengaged. Are you lazy in your service to Christ and his church? Are you given to anger and hatred and vengeance? Hear the call of Jesus today as you see all the grace that he's poured out on you, chapters 1 through 11. Because of that mercy, give yourself to him. Give yourself to others. Let the mercy and grace and love that has been given freely to you overflow for the body of Christ, for your neighbors, and even for your enemies. Not as weakness, but as power and triumph as you display the serpent-crushing, victorious love of Jesus and this broken world. If I could shorten this down to two sentences, and you say, why didn't you do that from the start? I just choose to end this way. If you know the love of God, show the love of God. Let's pray. Thank you, our God and Father, for your love, unfathomable deep love for us through Jesus Christ. Help us as Christians to show that love to those around us. Even those that we consider the lowliest, even those we consider our enemies, help us to bless them and pray for them and to love them. That same love you loved us with, your enemies, rebels against your will, yet you saved us by your grace. God, fill us with that love for others. Maybe fill us afresh with that love for those in this very room. We might be more connected to the body of Christ, bearing one another's burdens in love, showing that brotherly affection for each other. Help us, God, by your spirit to do this and to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at FBCDumas.com. six nine three five five six zero four we'll see you next time